Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here today. And um, it's my joy and my privilege to be teaching uh, this morning a subject that's really uh, very close to my heart. It's something that um, the Lord's been teaching me much about probably for 30 years, um, I can say that. And there's been many, um, much to learn. There's been much to learn. I just want to say... Um, uh, also just a comment about the DHD sessions that are coming up. So Blair said there's already 50. There's actually already 70. Um, just hadn't done the final count before we got the news out. So <laughs> uh, it's not a final count. You can still sign up. But um, just in case you haven't, I need to let you know that we're sending um, the first uh, first few documents out next week. So if you are wondering why you don't get them, it's possibly be... Well, because maybe you haven't signed up. So we don't have your email uh, details or your registration. So um, just, yeah, please let us know. Well, get signed up so that you can get all the, the necessary documentation that you need because we start, the first session is Wednesday the 3rd of May. So when we come back from Singapore, we're into it. Uh, that's, the, that's the week. And uh, I just want to thank you for your tremendous response. And it excites me. Um, it excites Wayne and I. Uh, the, the teachableness, the hunger in our community is a joy. So here we go. Thanks for that reading, Blair. Psalm 32. You might want to have that psalm open if you didn't open your Bibles because uh, we will be uh, making reference to that. But just first of all, just a comment. The last uh, two Sundays, Wayne's brought some exciting teachings um, about uh, Christ's triumph over the powers and he's introduced the biblical idea of a divine council. Uh, I know many of you have been uh, looking at that. And also, it, well, a divine council created by God, ruled by God. And also the consequences of their rebellion and the three rebellions that are recorded for us in Scripture. So if you haven't, if you're going, what? Uh, go and listen to those teachings, really important, um, because... The teaching this morning, I've, I've, I've given quite a few times, not recently on a Sunday, but I'm going to bring it today through the lens of the divine counsel and, and also the fact that Jesus has triumphed over every principality, rule and power, right? And every force of spiritual darkness in the heavenly realms. It's good to hear an amen because we kind of need to shout this. <laughs> this is the reason for our hope, people. <laughs> and <laughs> it's great. We've got a wonderful corner over here that's going to cheer me on the whole way. So, um, so exalting Christ's triumph over the powers through healing and deliverance. Do you get it? Okay, that's awesome. Now, healing and deliverance is not the only way. I mean, it's, it's a part of that statement. Okay? Um, you know, in Ephesians 3, verse 10, this is Paul speaking um, to the church, and he, he makes this statement. He says, So that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the world. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Interesting that he puts the focus there. Through the church. Now that's telling us what our role is. We need to be that corner of people cheering and declaring. Yeah? yeah? That's what he wants. Okay. So a little bit of um, history here. Hollett's early journey, just in case you're wondering, that's what we looked like a few years ago. Um, <laughs> Not so many years ago. <laughs> but uh, look, just to say, neither Wayne or I... Yes, he's got long hair there. <laughs> neither Wayne or I grew up in the biblical worldview that we now teach you from. Okay? I think you understand that. And uh, it wasn't until we were um, pastoring... Well, we'd, we'd, um, we'd come from a church... And we'd gone to another church, and in that transition, well, we were starting to go, what's going on? And I'll tell you why we felt like that. It was because 
We were talking, we were praying for, we were doing all the things that pastors do with people, not every person, but with quite a few people, and very sincere as far as we could tell, and yet they could not get free from certain things. Do you hear me? They could not get free from certain things, certain patterns, and they would be trying really hard. And crying out and leaning on Jesus and they could not break. It was like something just was like pulling them back, ping them back towards that thing. And we, we were very concerned about this, puzzled. Um, we felt for these people. Um, it's like, why, Lord, why? What's, what's happening? And um, anyway, that led to us starting to explore the possibility of things happening in the invisible realm that we were not aware was happening. And that's how our journey began. I remember reading a book by Charles Craft in those very early months called Defeating Dark Angels. Have any of you heard of Charles Craft? Mm-hmm. Defeating Dark Angels. And, um, and it was all, it was like, oh, yeah, yes, yes. That's exactly what we've seen happening. That's exactly what people say. And... And we just, we just decided we've, we've just got to do something. We didn't have anyone mentoring us. No one around us was, was saying these things to us or thinking like this. But we thought, look, we've just got to try because the love of Christ compels us to, <laughs> right? The, lo- the love of Christ compels me to, to reach out to you with everything available to see you in the freedom that Christ died for you to have. And so we would sit... And this is, and there may have even been one or two people here who could vouch for this, but we would sit down with his book, Charles Craft, on our laps and his steps to freedom. And we would follow it because that's what we, that's all we knew to do because we hadn't had any specific training on this. And amazingly, God did stuff. (laughs) Amazingly, isn't it? You, You just step out. And God is true to his word and the power of his authority. And we saw people start to get free. A, a couple of years later, not long after Nathan turned eight, um, that's our eldest son, we began to notice a change in his behavior. And this was not long before we went to the States. And, and it didn't take very long before we began to realize this was just this was more than just normal developmental growth in a you know seven eight year old. He started experiencing explosive episodes of rage and usually with with some kind of violent um, end to it uh, to say that now, if you know Nathan <laughs> you'd be like, really <laughs> um, that doesn't sound like him well it's not him now um, It was a new and a concerning development for us as parents. The warfare around Nathan continued to intensify. And I should say that when he was born, uh, suffice to say that I was put into a high-risk category for ever having another child after that. And both of us were at risk of losing our lives. It was interesting. And then we had Daniel. It's all good. (laughs) It's okay. So what was going on... um, we were following the Lord wholeheartedly, and uh, sometimes we would we would sit with Nathan, you know, after one of these episodes, and this by now we were in the states, and, and sometimes it it felt like half a day. It was probably a couple of hours, because we could not let him go. He couldn't at, in those moments. He wouldn't. He couldn't. Wouldn't speak. It was like he was completely shut down. But we could not leave him until we had led him to speak out and, and, and ask for God's forgiveness and to ask for forgiveness if you'd, if you'd hurt his brother or something else he'd done. Instinctively, we knew we could not leave him until that was resolved. Well, the Holy Spirit helped us in our weakness. He began to teach us things about um, uh, bloodline, iniquity, generational issues, and um, 
we were in the States at that time and I actually got to audit Charles Craft one or two of his classes and learned things while we were there. The Holy Spirit helped us as he does in our weakness and the Lord identified, he began to identify some things which we were able to deal with. Um, that's the very long and short of it. And applied to our son the, the benefits of the cross. Applied to what we saw was this generational iniquity and the presence of what we believed were spirits that attached to that iniquity and, and cut off. And he stopped, having, he stopped having those explosive episodes. But I just want to say, as both of our boys grew and matured, there were many times that we had to pray with them in similar ways. And we'll share more of this in the DHD sessions. But God is good, isn't he? All the time. <laughs> and you, have, you all have seen Nathan and Daniel's faith and where they are right now. You perhaps didn't know some of the battles we've had to fight as a family. But you see the fruit. You've seen the fruit. And I, and I present that fruit to you as the fruit of of the Lord's victory over the powers and rulers and principalities of the air. So we've learned a lot over the years. Um, we've prayed for ourselves. We've received ministry and prayed for our boys when we saw familiar patterns surface in them. And we made a commitment as a family a long time ago to confront any sinful patterns, choices, ungodly responses in ourselves, little lies that come in. That's what troubles a lot of us. The little lie that comes in and it sounds like truth and then boom, the chains come over, right? I'm going to share one of those with you in my own journey a little bit later. But God does heal. He does deliver. So healing and deliverance ministry. That's the next slide. There it is, the breaking of chains. I want to tell you about Brian. This is a, a story that... Um, and I'm going to say this first because some of what you're going to hear, you, you probably have never heard anything like it before. I want to say that there was five witnesses plus the person being ministered to in this situation. Okay, Two of them, my mum and dad. My dad, my, this was 20 years ago. My dad um, was, was 70. My mum was 72. And I had had many conversations with my dad about all this because my dad... Um, even though he's been a missionary, would very much held to the position that a Christian cannot have a demon. Well, seeing is believing. And then sometimes we have to go back through scripture and say, was I really seeing it clearly through the lens of the biblical worldview? Right? So my dad called me one day. This is when we were living in Bibber Lake. We'd come back from the States. We'd just started a new life. It was about, I think it was 2002. So new life had been going maybe about four to five years. And uh, he said, um, <laughs> he was in a bit of a spot because we'd had these conversations, right? He says, um, Julie, I'm just wondering if you can, if you can are, you, are you available to come and help? Um, a friend of ours, um, um, they've got a situation, their daughter's husband uh, is saying he is, um, well, he's saying he has a demon. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, is he a Christian? And dad was like, well, yes, he made a commitment two years ago. I was like, okay. Okay, well, well yes, all right, yeah, I'll come. Interestingly, I was on the third day of a three-day fast. I wasn't preparing for anything to come like that. But it was one of those divine setups that God, you know, sometimes will, will allow to happen. So, um, and I said to my dad, I said, um, is... is is, no, I don't even think I asked him. I think he said to me, the demon is calling itself a zazzle. Have you ever heard of a zazzle? Well, I hadn't because my Bible translation, this is 2002, my Bible translation didn't use that word in Leviticus. So I was like, no, I've never heard of that, Dad, but I'll come. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Well, we've since we do talk about this on the Day of Atonement. Anyway, so I said, yeah, Dad, come, you know, Nathan, uh, Wayne was out with the boys, I think um, basketball or something like that, and 
So he, he said, all right, well, we'll come and get you. We arrived at the place, and I'm going to skip through a lot of details. What I want to simply say, really what I want to highlight to you, is a few things that happened because that was a pivotal moment in my experience in terms of confronting the powers because of a few very important things. So we got there and the first thing that happened was his wife called down to my dad and said, because he had the phone, um, he's saying that if you come up, he'll shoot you. And he does have a gun. That was the first thing. And dad looks over at me and he goes, um, do you still want to go up? And I seriously, I was like, yeah, do I still want to go up? And, and I was like, Lord, wow, this is a bit more intense. And I was like, dad, what's he been into? And dad's like, oh, I don't know. I just got the phone call. So... I thought, no, we have to. You know why? Because that man is suffering and his wife and his wife's mother are up there. And what's going to happen to them? And for a moment, Dad was like, well, do you think we should call the police? And I thought, well, should we call the police? And I thought, no, we're not going to call the police. I think God's got something else for this man tonight. So we went up and um, we, they opened the door. We went through. And I could see him, I could see immediately he was demonized. He was sitting over in the corner. We walked through. So now this is three of us walking in to join two others to join the man who's manifesting a demon. And as we walked in and I looked across at him, he looked at me and the demon said, who are you and what are you doing here? Just like that. I was like, well, no pleasantries here. <laughs> We're not going to say hello to the, the mother or the wife. We're just going to get straight into it. And so I, I, I did. I just walked across and I said, my name is Julie Hollard and I come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then from that moment, it was backwards and forwards because that was the demon who was in charge at that moment. And I'm thinking to myself, this man's a Christian. Okay, so somewhere in there is this man. And so I began, so I bound the demon and I called the man forward. And he came forward. And I could see it was him. Clearly it was the man. And, and I said, I said, we introduced each other. <laughs> this is who I am. Who are you? What have you been into? Please tell me now, quick. And this went on backwards and forwards because then he would get a few sentences out and then this demon would take over him again. And uh, there, was, there was some manifestations with that as well in the sense of um, I'm always never too sure what to say, but I feel like this morning the Lord is saying, just tell it like it is. Every time that demon took over him, blood came out of his nose and out of his ears. And then when he came forward, it stopped. Now, I'm confronting powers. I can feel it right here. <laughs> I can feel this right here. This went on, and I gathered information from this man. After about three hours, I was like, Lord, this man is suffering. Why will this demon not leave? He stood up at that moment, and he, he, he got up out of his chair. The, the, the demon was, was in this was a moment when the demon was in charge. Uh, well, he was manifesting, I should say. He was never in charge. He was manifesting. And he got up and he moved towards me. And he spoke. He said to me, I can kill you, you know. And by this stage, what I'd got out of the man was that he was an ninjutsu grandmaster. And he had also worked in the special forces of a nation. I'm not going to name the nation. And he was well he was very familiar with killing in the line of his job. And at that moment, now I also want to say here, <laughs> this is going on. I have no fear. That's extraordinary. I have no fear. I am not afraid of this man or the demon. And in that moment when he stood up and threatened me, I thought, I think I need some more help. <laughs> and I simply 
was not premeditated. I've never done it before. I said, Michael, come and help. Well, he's the biggest angel I know. He's the guardian angel of Israel. Who else would you have picked? (laughs) And then Michael turned up like that. And do you know how I knew? I'm not a seer. So I'm not seen in the spirit at this moment. There would be people in this congregation, and if you had been there, you would have been seeing this in the spirit. This man standing in front of me, Brian, then turned to my, like, like he, he looked, he'd been looking at me, turned, faced the left, and greeted Michael and said, We go way back. I was like, Wow. And then there was a conversation. It's like listening to one end of the phone because I couldn't hear what Michael was saying, but I could hear the responses. I heard enough to know that Michael was saying, you're not going to touch her. And so he had to pull back. Afterwards, Brian told me, now that demon did leave him that night. There's a long story. It took a number of months for that man to come to complete freedom, including he had to confess possession of certain things that tied him to the power. But he told me afterwards when the demon left that night that he could see the angel. And standing behind me was Jesus with his hand on my head. And I thought, no wonder I didn't feel scared. (laughs) No wonder. It was an amazing story, and it continued. And there's a part two episode, which if you sign up for DHD, (laughs) I'll let you know the rest of it. Wayne was present for that one. (laughs) I just don't have time this morning. (laughs) But, okay, Isaiah, we're heading into the slides now. I've told you, hey, oh, yeah. Okay, that's very important. Where is this man now? Right? Um, I called my dad this week and I said, Dad, I haven't heard a long time in a long time how, how, how Brian's doing. He said, that's okay, I'll call, I'll call his, uh, I'll, I'll make a call. He made a call and he rang me back and he said he's doing really well. He and his wife now have three children. He's got a full-time job. I'm not going to tell you where or what he's doing except to say it's in a Christian school. He's a changed man. Yeah. So I thought, that's great. That's a fantastic conclusion. I'll let you know. (laughs) Um, So um, some slides here. I've told you about Brian to make the following points. Healing and deliverance declares that the rule of Jesus is in the earth. Amen. You can say amen to any of these. Yes. Colossians 2.15. It says, and Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the gospel message, right? Isn't it? This is freedom for the captives. This is a transition of ownership. This is the powers losing. Amen? Amen. Secondly, Jesus commanded his disciples, that's you and me, I mean his disciples then, but it's, it's us now, to drive out demons, to heal the sick and teach others to do the same. And in my experience, when you drive out demons, often people are healed. And that is a biblical um, reality. I, I could give you tons of, of examples of that, but you can go find them yourself. Luke 9, 1 and 2. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then, of course, the Great Commission. Go and, go and make disciples and teach them everything. Everything. That includes this. Everything I've commanded you. And John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Okay. So next one, we express the love of Christ when we set others free. And I'm, I'm t- look, whatever you think it's due to, general dysfunction or 
this or that or I've got this or I've got that or repetition of iniquity coming down the family line. That's a very biblical concept. I'm going to unpack that. There are many people, including Christians, who are oppressed, depressed, sick, discouraged, right? Chained to addictions, tormented by lies. I could go on and on. Why is this? Come on, doesn't that make you ask yourselves questions? It makes me, it made me ask myself questions. 30 years ago, God, what is happening? This is not right. This is not what Jesus died for. This is not the fruit of his shed blood and his body broken, is it? Okay, good. Then we can look further. And, and finally, faith in Jesus grows when we see his power manifest through us to others. My faith, as you can imagine, went to another, honestly, it just went to another level after that encounter. Because I saw things normally I could not see. I called on an archangel and he turned up. It's like, Wow. He really is listening. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? But the Lord allowed me to see it. when I, And I normally, up until that point, praying lots of people, didn't normally see stuff like that. It's real. Daniel 11.32, But the people who know their God shall be strong. No doesn't just mean head knowledge. It means in experience. And that means in your emotions, and that means in how you are walking out the gospel message. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I'm just going to continue to be bold this morning and say, there have been three major rebellions. Are there any that the Bible talks about? I'm talking about divine counsel, rulers and principalities. About Is there any? Are there any more coming? Which one? Which is the big one that's coming. <laughs> well, I think it's recorded in Revelation. Isn't it? It's in Revelation. There's another one and the whole lot of them get swooped out of the heavenly realm. No more entering the courts of God and having your say. You're coming down to the earth. Woe to the earth. If we're not ready, it's woe to the earth. And the Bible, the narrative of the Bible is just, in, just as in the days of Noah, what happened in Noah's day, what led to the flood, the sons of God and the daughters of men had children. Right? That's what it says. And because of that, God had to destroy the earth. That was the ultimate because of. You understand what I'm saying? We need to be prepared because for a short time, something is going to be unleashed in the earth. But I tell you what, the Bible also says there's going to be a remnant of the faithful who know their God. And they're going to be, they're going to shine like stars in the heavens. And you know what? They're not going to love their lives so much that they're not prepared to lose their lives and they're going to triumph. They're going to triumph over Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That's coming too. That's coming too. But you know what? It's time for the body of Christ to wake up, especially in the West, perhaps, where we're not even being persecuted very much. We need to wake up. And we need to repent of, you know, laying all of our problems. Look, I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe in saying it's all this. It's all demons. It's all this. And I'm not also here saying there's, there's a secular rationalistic scientific worldview that explains all of these things. I'm definitely not there. I'm probably here. 
because that's the biblical worldview. And we need to repent where our minds have been washed with the philosophies of this age, human philosophies, even demonic philosophies, can I say. And where we start to put our faith in Jesus again and follow the biblical pattern and the biblical model for how he says, I've died for you so that you can take that up now and you can wipe the ground with the enemies. What if you just go, thank you, Lord. That's awesome. I'm free. And at no point do you pick up any weapon. You think it's been handed to you on a platter. You don't understand that iniquity runs in the bloodline. And at no point have you let the Holy Spirit search your heart really deeply and say, is there anything you want to change? And then he says, yes, there is. And you go, well, Lord, I don't really think that needs changing. And we go on and on and on. This is rebellion, people. It's what Hosea said to the people. You've sown the wind and you're reaping the whirlwind. And we wonder what's happened. We wonder what's happened. We sang this morning, the Lord is gracious, abounding in love, you know, full of mercy. Yes, he is. That's from Exodus 34. Forgiving sin, transgression and iniquity. And that's usually where we stop because we don't know how to filter the next bit. Because the next bit is, He said, but he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, visiting the sins of the fathers down to the children and their children to the third and the fourth generation. I bet you haven't seen that in a song recently. I'm really only doing an introduction to sin, transgression and iniquity. And really, I kind of need to wrap this up. So you're not going to get very much of it. But I want to point out to you that I believe one of the one of the reasons that we're in this place is because we've not understood the biblical pattern and we've lumped all sin into the same category where there are at least three words in the Hebrew Bible for sin and there are slight differences, nuances that are important for us to understand and if we don't, we'll miss what's been said here. And in fact, the Bible reading this morning, thank you, Blair, for reading that from the ESV. And I deliberately chose the ESV because it uses those three words. My translation actually doesn't. I'm getting a new one. (laughs) I'm going to, I've changed mine in pen. So just listen to this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions, Hebrew word pesha. You can put that um, slide up if you like. Isaiah, is it up there? Pesha. Look at the definition. Whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Hata. Blessed is the one whose sin, hata, the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no avon. Iniquity. Those are the Hebrew words. And David then goes on to say, when I kept silent... When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin, hata, to you and did not cover up my iniquity, avon. I said, I will confess my transgressions, Pesah, to the Lord. And you forgave the avon of my sin. Do you hear that? There's different meanings for these words. Because I'm running out of time. We will visit this more in the session, okay? But because I'm, I'm running out of time here, um, I just want to say something about iniquity because I think this is the bit that we, we, we wrestle with. It is a Hebrew word that means perversity, depravity, guilt, twistedness, crookedness, pervertedness. In fact, in the scriptures translation, it uses the word crookedness every time for iniquity. Um, Ken Fish says, Avon is what is inherited and causes a fundamental corruption or crookedness in our character, in our thinking and in our desires. And it can also affect our physical body. 
Now, we've got doctors in here today, I'm sure, who would, att who would attest to the fact that we do see these things. We do see things passed down generationally. It's a, quite an interesting subject. But iniquity, or avon, is the sin that enters the family bloodline. And can I just say, you may not even be aware that where that sin entered. But you know you're dealing with something, and you're like, why am I always pulled towards this? Or why is... Or why, right? There's freedom. Because Jesus, because God, back in Exodus, he said, I forgive the sin, the transgression, and the iniquity. But you know, none of this is passive. None of it's passive. It wasn't passive for the prophets. It wasn't passive for David. Daniel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Daniel 9, Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9. It's easy to remember. Read their prayers. When they prayed because of the state of the nation, this is what they did. And they said, Lord, forgive my sin, my father's sin, my father's father's sin. We have sinned. That's the biblical model. When, when the, the, the disciples saw that, that blind man and they said to Jesus, what happened here? Was it his, was it his, his father? Or his, you know, Sinned? Was it in the family line or did, or did he sin? Well, he was born blind at birth, so it's unlikely that he sinned. But the concept is there. The concept is there. What about those children that were brought to Jesus? Well, the Syrophoenician woman, her, her, her daughter, you know, they, they, we're talking children who were being affected by demons and they cried out to Jesus to help. I'm just going to read to you from Daniel 9. Isaiah, I think we're around slide 16 now. <laughs> Daniel 9, what's the context of this prayer? It's nearly 70 years, right, that they've been in Babylon. He knows because of the prophet Jeremiah's writings. He knows. Jeremiah's like it's going to be 70 years and then... That will be the end of your captivity. So something's got to happen in 70 years. I believe Daniel looks at the people and he goes, Lord, they're nowhere near ready. They've just kind of got on with life. They've almost, they're almost disregarding you. And he begins to pray. He's mourning. He's grieving. He's in sackcloth and ashes. And I'm just going to read you some excerpts from his prayer. And I want you to listen through the lens of the church today. Just a few sentences. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. This is Daniel. We have sinned and done wrong. He didn't say they have sinned. We have sinned. We have been wicked and rebelled. All Israel has transgressed your law and refused to obey you. All this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn. To all those around us. In the 60s and the 70s, some of you, well, some of you remember the sexual revolution. Do you remember? Some of you are going, what? There was a sexual revolution? Yeah, there was. It was also known as the sexual liberation. It was a social movement that challenged the traditional codes of behavior related to sexuality throughout the Western world. Sexual liberation included increasing acceptance of sex outside of traditional heterosexual monogamous relationships, marriage, the normalization of contraception and the pill, public nudity, pornography, premarital sex, homosexuality, masturbation, alternative forms of sexuality, and the legalization of abortion all followed. That's the door that was opened up. In case... Here's some statistics from before that time. Again, this is Ken Fish. He's a well-known teacher in prophecy, healing, and deliverance. 
1960, prior to the sexual revolution, the typical woman getting married was a virgin. According to the best data available, 90%. Most men were as well. According to the data available, 70%. The average number of partners for women was three. The most recent data obtained in 2060, that is 60 years later, says this. Today, 95% of women and 95% of men are not virgins on their wedding day. The average number of partners for men and women has risen to 10. Abortion is normalized and in many countries legalized and people think, of all, people think all kinds of alternative sexuality is okay. Romans 1 addresses this from a biblical worldview. And the consequences of this iniquity. The sowing of wind to reap the whirlwind in our society today. Of all kinds. All kinds. Including diseases. Illnesses. I could go on and on. We are destroying ourselves because of the iniquity that has been unleashed in our generational line or in our bloodline. The fruit of generational iniquity is proliferating in our time. Now, this is a principle that applies to Christians and non-Christians, can I say? This is just one of those things. It's like gravity. If you drop it, it's going to fall. It's the same. These are principles. These are God's law, his universal laws that govern the world that he created. Psalm 32. Back to Psalm 32. Therefore, says David, we say, what can we do? Well, the Bible tells us what we can do. We have to repent. We have to turn from our own sin. You see, generational spirits will attach to iniquity in the family line. Which causes that propensity towards certain behaviors, temptations to break God's law. Although Jesus has died for us, there is no freedom without repentance. You realize that, right? We have to come to the foot of the cross and receive the fullness of what he's paid for. I feel that some of us have come to the cross and received some of what he's paid for. We have eternal life and that's enough for us. But I'm telling you, there's a season coming on the earth. You already see the proliferation of evil, but there's a season coming, a very intense season. And the Lord, in fact, he even cries out in Revelation, come out of Babylon, my people. And I think there's a literal, because there's judgment coming on Babylon, but he's saying to us, come out. Come out of it all. Humble yourselves under my mighty hand, lest judgment falls on you. Okay? You're sincerely following Jesus. It therefore doesn't per se mean your eternal life, But Jesus warns about that as well. If you don't cut off the root of sin, if you don't cut it out of your life, it will take you somewhere you never thought you'd end up. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. That's what David says. This is the solution. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not stay near you. How the Lord wants wholehearted lovers of him, his ways, his statutes. He doesn't want to have to drive people, put bits and bridles on us. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love Surrounds the one who trusts in him. I'm going to finish with a very quick story. Many of you know I went to boarding school. And uh, you've heard my dad's side of it a few months ago. 
how difficult it was for him. It was also difficult for us kids. And I remember a time, I was about 10, so I'd been going to and fro from boarding school since grade one. And um, it, was, it was almost time. We were living in Taiwan at that time. It was almost time for me and my brother to get on the plane and head back to Malaysia because that's where the mission school was. And I remember coming in one morning and lying on mum and dad's bed and pleading with them not to send us back. Don't send us back. And, you know, and, and as, as a child, you, you, you truly believe that your parents have the power to change these things. And I guess they did, except that God had called them to the mission field and these were the rules of belonging to the mission. So all my begging and pleading and crying, and I cried, was to no avail and we ended up on the plane back to boarding school, probably only about a week later. But something changed for me. Unconsciously, something changed on that day for me which I I didn't realize. What I realized was as I got older, my relationship with my parents had changed. I didn't like to be vulnerable in front of them. I wasn't a rebellious kid. That wasn't it for me. It was just I didn't want to bring myself under their love in a way where they could hurt me again. I didn't realize this. I just knew something was wrong And I loved the Lord and it grieved me that it was so difficult to tell my mum that I loved her. I did love her. I just didn't want to say it. You know what I'm talking about? Wayne and I married and this was an ongoing issue that really troubled me. And we used to pray about it. We used to talk about it. One day, again, I'm really cutting this short. One day when I was praying, the Lord brought this memory back to me. I hadn't, hadn't remembered it. He brought it back to my conscious memory. And he showed me that when my parents, when I felt let down by my parents, disappointed, like they, they abandoned me, they didn't reach out to me in my pain and change the world, I withdrew. I put walls up and I charged that against them. That's called unforgiveness. That is a good definition of hata. Because very often when the Bible says hata, it's talking about unintentional or unwitting sin. You know that we have in the Levitical system, there is actually an offering for unintentional sin. But now it's in the light. And I have a decision to make. If I choose to forgive, then it's, we know what it's, it's done. It, I'm released. But if I hold on to that and I don't want to trust, And I don't want to bring myself. I don't want that cause. I actually want to hold on to this. Now it's become Pesah. Because the command of the Lord is to forgive. And the command of the Lord is to honor your parents. And if anything is standing in the way of that, that I have control to change, now it's moved into transgression. Conscious, willful rebellion. And if I continue on with that unconfessed sin and I disregard the fact that now I'm transgressing but I prefer my comfort and my sense of control and power in the situation and my sense of justice, then that becomes iniquity and that can pass down the bloodline. And my children can find it very difficult for some reason to forgive people who hurt them. And they can be looking at other people going, how can you forgive so easily? It just doesn't, it just, it's hard. And if it continues, 
Demons have a right, like rats to garbage, just to come and strengthen that stronghold because it's ungodly, it's sinful. And it's now been brought out of, I've, I've brought that area of my life out from under the protection of the Lord into a space where the demons traffic. Are you understanding this? As we approach Pentecost, Wayne and I, oh, the end of that story is my relationship with my parents has been fully restored. <laughs> so good. It's not nice to be bound up like that. And I have a wonderful relationship with them. I think you saw that the day they were here. And um, I'm so thankful for them. As we approach Pentecost, Wayne and I urge you to keep saying yes to Jesus. Let him show you how to lay hold of everything that he's laid hold of for you. Let him release the chains that bind. Repent. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And no matter how tight you think those chains are, no matter how unworthy you might think you are, or that Jesus could never do that for you, you're wrong. You see, Jesus did what he did so that he could redeem the world. He took and he chose a people and he said, I'm going to do this through you. And they've been kicking and fighting all the way as well. And yet he's still bringing about his purposes. And it's going to result in people from every tribe and tongue and nation crowning him as king, submitting to his leadership and experiencing the greatest blessing. How much regret will I have if I didn't avail myself while I could of everything that he's laid hold of for me? So, triumph. Christ's triumph over the powers. May the slain lamb have the reward of his suffering in you and your family and in our life as a community. Amen. Let's stand and sing. We're going to sing a closing song, He Wears a Crown. This is what we focus on, what Jesus has done. And he wears a crown. He is returning there's such a triumphant ending. But the fullness of sin is going to reach that point again under the leadership of what the Bible talks about is the beast. And there's going to be such an imaging to that beast that we'll all be saying, just and true your judgments, Lord. Come and deal with it. And he will come and deal with it. Amen.